I said it before and I'll say it again. That scene, that last scene. What does it mean? I'm the dude, you know? Get the fuck out of here. No, I cannot. That final scene starts now. Hello, hello, hello. We are back from our mini break. This is Ophi and I'll be your host for the Ophie. next... You just said Ophi. <laughs> is that how you heard? You changed since you've no, been away. No, is that how you heard? No, you definitely said this is Ophi. I did Ophi. Okay, sorry. Maybe it's we'll okay. do it live. <laughs> sorry again. No. We'll do it live. Fuck it. I will name a monkey Ophi. What does that mean? What, like, like a pet name, friends? I can all write it and we'll do it live. That final scene starts now. Hello, hello, hello. And we are back from our mini break. This is Sophie and I'll be your host for the next hour or so. And I am really excited to be back with my two brilliant co-hosts, Ben and Simon. Hello, hello. Hiya. We want to give a special shout out to Amazon Music. So make sure you find that final scene and follow along our episodes there. Another reason we wanted to shout out Amazon, though, is that they literally just confirmed they are moving forward with the new live-action Blade Runner series, Blade Runner 2099, with Ridley Scott uh, acting as an executive producer. And today we'll be talking about Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049, so I feel like that's perfect timing. How are you feeling about it? Well, I thought 2049 was not needed, so I don't even know if 2099 (gasps) is needed. Well, I will say... I thought it probably wasn't needed at the time because I think Blade Runner as a standalone is a fantastic film. I feel like you could watch 2049 and enjoy the film without having watched Blade Runner in a Yes. Way. I, I watched you it do, that way around, actually. You, you, I watched 2049 oh, first. That's, oh, that's interesting. Oh, really? And then this morning I watched the original. And which did you prefer? The original. The director's, director's cut? cut? Yeah. 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 <laughs> a final cut? Oh, I, <laughs> I watched it. I bought it on Apple. Apple The working draft? Why did you I watched the one that Ridley Scott <laughs> likes and endorses. Why did you buy it on Apple Movies? It's free on Amazon Prime. Oh, I cancelled Amazon Prime. Oh. oh, wow. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> so, Amazon Prime, you can see the theatrical version on Amazon Prime, which isn't the best Oh, one. that's the happy ending. About- yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I do feel quite optimistic about the series because the majority of the creative brains behind you know the original works are coming back. We have Michael Green, who also wrote the um, script for Blade Runner 2049. And I really love the script for that one. And then there's, I don't remember her name, but the showrunner of Signing Girls. That Have you heard of that show on no, Apple TV no. Plus? It was really good. She's the one that's uh, going to be writing the script for that. But, and Ben, I want to tell you about this. Like, I read that <laughs> she's also the showrunner for Halo. Oh, and Christ. I'm like, how, is it Silka, Luisa? Uh, how could someone be a showrunner of two vastly different shows? So Signing Girls is kind of horror-y with mm. Elizabeth Moss. It's really good. And then also be the showrunner for Halo, which supposedly is that, tra- that, that worries me, though. 2049 is like, the scale is huge. Like, there's lots yeah. of big, like, set pieces. It looks amazing. Like, one of the things about it is is that it's very much a movie that's like designed to be like watched on a big screen with like big speakers so like you can hear this like the soundtrack is that like amazing all the cool drones and stuff and that looks really good how does that work for like a 10 episode series I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, you know. it goes back to Rings of Power, right? Which yeah. They managed to do a pretty decent job, at least visually yeah, and from visually, an audio perspective. Visually, it looks great. Yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. And yeah. I think I just hope they develop the story in it. But I, I guess that yeah. works for fantasy because that's been done with Game of Thrones. Yeah. I'm just like, and yeah, you can do sci-fi shows, like stuff like Mandalorian and mm-hmm. Obi-Wan have done it quite mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. How do you do a gritty kind of cool sci-fi? I now? agree. I agree. I I have a feeling that they're going to have double down storytelling 
versus the visuals and to, audio yeah. because it's TV. And like when it comes to TV, you really need to be like, you need to ace your writing. Otherwise, it's going to get boring. But I feel like 2049, even though it concluded in a very specific way, we're going to talk about it in a second, it did have a few open-ended storylines that could follow like Wallace Corporation and what is Decker going to do next with his daughter. So there are things that they could explore because that's set half a century after 2049. Is he dead then by then? He's not. Oh, I mean. 2099. Well, we would assume Oh yeah, that's a good question. Oh yeah, that's a good Because I don't think Harrison Ford is not going to be in it, is he? Uh, Do we know? Because at the beginning of the one I watched today, the uh, original original one, it's like, Los Angeles, 2019. He's already quite old in that. So he's eight. Yeah, you're right. He's actually aging. Um, Because this is one of the films, you know, we're getting to this time where like lots of the films from the 80s imagined the world we live in now as the future. And now we're we're past it. Yes. Um, Like The Running Man, which I watched recently. Um, That was 2017. How was that experience? Really cool. I was working on a computer game, uh, doing some audio for a computer game where the reference was The Running Man. And so I rewatched it, loved it. So it's coming back as what? Yeah, that's being remade actually, yeah. Do we know who's going to be the lead? No, but I know who the director's Edgar Wright. What? Yeah. Hang on, really? Really? I love the idea of that. That's fantastic. You've got that right, yeah, because that sounds. We, we are fact checking. You give us but a second. Edgar Wright, Edgar Wright is a sci fi fan, so that would make sense for him to yeah. remake something like that. That would be really running. interesting. Um, everyone, Edgar Wright. This is the first time I've been right about ah. a film fact. Any cast stuff on it yet? Or I don't know. It's probably still in pre production, still yeah, just probably, writing it. Yeah. That'll be cool, though. That'll be good. Nice. I just love sci fi. Oh my God. I love sci fi. That's why, like, it's funny because obviously Edward James Olmos is in. Um, the original Blade Runner, he plays Gaff, I think it is. Or is that the character's name? Mm-hmm. He's in a in what I think is a great sci-fi remake, and he was in the mm-hmm. Battlestar Galactica series mm-hmm. that came out in the mid two thousands. Which, if you, <laughs> I I would urge you to watch at least a bit of it now because the CGI is laughably bad. <laughs> like it looks so cartoonish and terrible compared to even stuff that was around at the time, like Star Trek and other kind of spacey things. Yeah. But the story is brilliant. Like it's such an interesting pro- because they went, we're not going to do the whole original Battlestar Galactic like it's the it's the same premise but it's like it's a much more like political show and it's all about more about like human the human survival element than just we're being attacked by robots and all that kind of stuff it's really good if you want like a sci-fi remake um but yeah watch The Running Man recommend it I'll check it out it's very very funny I feel like I have yeah. watched it I feel like I have watched it before it feels like it's, it sticks in the head there somewhere that I have and I think it, it was based on a book written by Who's the famous horror author? Stephen King. Stephen King, yeah. Speaking of sci-fi books, I do want to read the book that Blade Runner is based off as well. Probably a pamphlet, judging yeah. by the story. It'll, that yeah, oh. it'll be it'll be like, um, like a, a Scientology pamphlet about why, <laughs> yeah. you know, do I you should know, believe in the gods of or something. Do you know what I read earlier today, that um, his daughter is going to be producing the show? Oh, really? That's so, cool. Yeah. That's good. So Ben, Rings of Power. I'm enjoying Wait, it. Yeah. I, listen, I will say I am enjoying it. It is weird because... What is it? Lord of the Rings are a set of films that was released in the very early 2000s, yes. made by Peter Jackson, based on the Lord of the Rings books by J.R.R. Tolkien. What Amazon have done is they have taken a book that not many people know about called The Silmarillion, 
which is another J.R.R. Tolkien book set in the I same universe. I love that you know all this, I have mm-hmm. to say. Like, I'm just so they're kind elven. of lore about the, it is very elven. Ben is the expert on anything <laughs> elven. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know why, but I, but I am. And crystal collection. He's not an elf himself, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, it's my Irish, my Irish heritage, you know, yeah. these pointy ears of mine. Uh, <gasps> and but I'm I'm liking it. Like it looks fantastic. Like is it, it like it, the you know it looks like the most expensive TV show ever made, sure. and that looks great. But the first three episodes have just been lots of kind of like exposition and world building and not much story progression. I would say I think it could be good. I'm going to give it a chance because I'm watching House of the Dragon or Hot D, as I was told. Somebody people are referring to it as. So how are you feeling about about that? Because I would, it's a lot. What's slower. House of the Dragon? Oh, sorry, so House yeah, of the Dragon sorry. is the is a Game of Thrones prequel. You know, mm-hmm. Game of Thrones. Then again, it's not actually. It, it's based on like loads of, again short stories and like a history book basically about Game of Thrones, and it's got loads of like Matt Damon's in it, Paddy Considine's in it. Loads of like it's really good, really good cast. Yeah, but Matt it's Smith interesting. Is really good. Matt Smith's fantastic in it. Yeah. yeah, he's brilliant. I mean, the wig work isn't great. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. they have these like lo- like long blonde wigs. Right. That, Kind of half the time. That's that's something I've never heard you say. Wig work. (laughs) (laughs) Wig works isn't my favorite, but a lot of of legless wigs. Matt Damon or Matt um, Smith looks exactly like Legolas from Lord of the Rings. Um, Orlando Orlando Bloom's character. Um, Legolas. Yeah, Legolas. Legolas. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's good. I'm, I'm enjoying it. The last episode was fucking intense Me and my girlfriend are kind of watching both now at the same time, like rewatching Game of Thrones and watching House of the Dragon as well. And Game of Thrones is a lot faster, like, because there's a lot more storylines. It jumps around quite a lot. House of the Dragon is very much kind of one storyline. And so it's definitely like a slower pace. But it's good. I'm enjoying it, I would say. I'm probably not enjoying it as much as I enjoy Game of Thrones because, as I say, it was a lot faster paced. And I'm still at the stage where I'm like, is it just going to be all the same story kind of rehashed again or at least the same themes of, you know, what the what Game of Thrones was? But... Yeah, I mean it's good. I am I am enjoying it yeah. for what it is. I mean, this is a trend that I'm I'm seeing in these like franchise level TV shows where they spend at least half the like half the first season doing setup work because they're introducing characters and I don't know someone like me really struggles with that sort of thing because I'm like, where is the action? Why should I give a fuck? And that's my issue with Rings of Power. It's like it's it looks beautiful. I, as I said, there's a lot to appreciate, but then I'm like, I'm four episodes in and I don't care about any of the characters and I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Like, I would much rather, because I know that's a safe way to do it and probably like House of Dragons is a bit of that, but I would love for uh, a showrunner of that scale to be able to say, hey, let's just go in, let's just start with a bang. I think a lot of the like the the advertising and marketing of it was leading up to the Galadriel storyline, who's one of the main characters. But actually, I like her. There's a yeah, yeah she's fantastic. Mm. Morford Clark Morford, I think mm-hmm. is, she's a Welsh actress. I'm probably butchering her name, but she's really good. It's doing a lot of like very slow kind of building of the world and all that stuff. When yeah. actually, as someone who's seen Lord of the Rings. Like I kind of, I kind of already know what's going on and like mm. all these characters that are being introduced and I'm like, oh, well, I know who this person's going to be and I know who you are and, and, and yeah, it's just, mm. it's quite, it's quite slow, but yeah. I'm hoping it'll pick up. I'm, you know, and it's already. Me too, me too. And it's early. Has, has it been yeah. renewed for a second season? I'm sure it will I feel be. like it has because House of the Dragons been renewed, was renewed for a second season, I think. Oh, was it? Okay. The, the minute they released the first episode, they went, and we're right. season two. Yeah, yeah. Because that's just what they do. They yeah. just wait until people. I'm sitting this one out for the moment. House of the like, Dragon. Yeah, because I'm like. 
I don't I think, feel like watching more incesty stuff uh, right now. Oh, I don't need that in, incest. It <laughs> is incesty <laughs> as hell. Oh my god! Oh my god! The level of incest. The last episode is oh my god! Like <laughs> next level incest. Why are you like? Loving describing I'm it. Not so loving much. It. I'm not. Lo- I'm not loving describing those <laughs> no, bits. That's just, for sure. Like it's because we've both seen Game of Thrones. Like there's uh, a lot of. It, I, I did watch some of Game of Thrones, and there's a brother and sister storyline. Oh, one yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. 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 House of the Dragons Wars. So what is that about? Is that like? The fantasy genre of TV has permission to sort of run these storylines. Well, I think and it's kind of like untapped at the moment. It's I don't like, know. I think it's kind of a thing where people people go, "Oh, well, this is what happened in the fifteens, in the fourteen and fifteen hundreds." Oh, right. like, I think people try and use of, that as an excuse, yeah. but it's still fucking weird, though. Generally, the, from what I'm hearing, and same thing with Game of Thrones, like the, there are so many to use Simon's favorite word, problematic narrative with <laughs> around women. Like I'm hearing yeah. like a lot of criticism for the prequel as well. Watching it and seeing kind of how slow it is, I'm in it now. Like I've watched like three or four, three or four episodes, whatever it is. So I'm kind of like I'm just going to keep watching it every week. You'd probably be better off waiting until it's finished and then try mm. and binge watch it because then you'll be able to like keep the pace up yourself. Yep. Obviously, I'm watching it episode by episode, so I have seven days between to kind of sit and wait for the next thing. Whereas if you're watching it one by one, oh, they're drip feeding them. Yeah, that's it's it's not. I think not everything's going back ones. towards that now, isn't it? Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, so many shows like that's Amazon are doing that with yeah. the Rings of Power now. That's episode. They most places are doing. Now HBO is different because obviously that's still a network in yeah it's America, broadcast as well. So it's broadcast. Yeah. So it's being broadcast. But even Amazon Rings of Power, they at least two episodes, and then it's week by week. It's a better business case because you keep people subscribed for longer. And also the binge watching culture has meant that these streaming services have run out of content because everyone's rinsed it. So they need to extend the life of it. I feel like Netflix is still the one streaming service where they drop everything in like at the same... Disney are definitely grounding everything in that kind of appointment viewing. Like even even though it's not like a network TV show that it comes out at a certain time, but it's at least every week. If you were a streaming service and you want to go for appointments to watch programming... Why not create more of an environment that lets people like share the experience together? Like no one's experimenting so, with. So Disney, I think, sort of stuff. I, think I think Disney, mm-hmm. I think Disney have an option now. I might be wrong. I think Disney have an option to group watch stuff now. So a lot of the, okay. a lot of so it syncs it between your yeah, devices. Yeah. So a lot of so a lot of apps are or I think some streaming services. Remember like Netflix Party during um, yeah, during lockdown. Great. Prime, I think there Prime is, has Watch Party as well. Yeah, Prime has Watch Party, and I think I think Disney Plus has. And a does group it allow you to speak to each other? That or is I don't it just know. sync that I haven't, I haven't tried it yet. I'm not sure. Because that would be the next level, like being able to shout stuff and you would hear what I was saying and you could have a conversation, almost like a director's commentary, but except it's your, your mates. I like that. I like to think that something like that exists out there. But yeah. if not... We better uh, copyright that right now. Copyright there you to, go. Uh, to yeah. that yeah. Magazine podcast. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that it'll end up like that in, in uh, yeah, like, AR, VR land. Well, even yeah. if it's just like three people or something. Just That's you, more just than you, Just you and me, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> You can watch Suits with me. Oh, I've Ooh. never watched Suits before. Are you watching Suits? Occasionally. Oh, okay. That's All the time. A, Meghan Markle? Like the whole... <laughs> yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. I'm dipping into Skins a bit at the moment. Yes, you guys seen you Skins? Saying. I've seen... Yeah, I would like... Yeah. If you live back in America, in, in you day. have to check out Skins. If you want to know what UK teen culture was like in 2007... Skins is the thing. I feel like it's Skins, one of those programs that it's they really probably tried to remake for the American audience, but it, it did. Apparently, that happened. Well, I would, say, yeah. I would say a, a good parallel would be Euphoria now. Oh, like, I've not seen that. I've not it's watched Euphoria. I feel like everybody talks about It's like the Euphoria. US equivalent of Zendaya that kind of teen culture. Is Euphoria as pretty as Skins? Drugs, a lot of rape, like R-A-P-E. I don't know if I say the word, but like yeah. it's, it has a lot of that like Skins vibe. Incest? But, I'm not sure. I haven't What's watched the, it. Um, the wig work like? 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> can't confirm having wasted but Zendaya's hair is like mwah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but that's real hair that ain't no wig that's okay. yeah well that's how good the wig work is <laughs> but that but that's a good that's a good shout skins uh, when did it how many seasons it started seasons about 2007 and it? it went on a lot of seasons but the first two are like the the classics because yeah. they changed they, they, change, they kept changing it, the cast and stuff as they got older didn't they yeah so the cast stays young because yeah. they just move on to a new set but like a lot of people have come from skins or, or at least went like worked in skins like so nick we were saying before <coughs> we started recording nicholas holes in it he kind of disappeared recently yeah i haven't seen him i haven't seen mm. him in much here's a question for you both are you going to see the weird owl movie what's that oh my they've god made a weird, that's coming out now yeah it's coming out really soon <gasps> the reviews, are, reviews are starting to come out for it and apparently it's really good oh i'm excited so basically so what they've made a biopic of weird owl with daniel radcliffe playing weird owl I love this. But apparently, Wait, I don't know who Weird Al is. You don't know who you Weird do. You do know who Weird Al is. Just like, him. Just, just eat it. You know, like um, <laughs> white and nerdy. Um, oh, my 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 Bologna. You know, you'll you'll know them. He does parody songs, huge in like the nineties and early nineties. Mm. But basically, they've made a biopic of with him with Daniel Radcliffe playing him. What Weird Al did for music, this is doing for biopic movies, apparently. So I'm I'm really excited to see it. Um, one last thing on what we're watching, and I will say this because mm. Sophie and I have spoken about this before. What I did watch is after D23, the big Disney Expo, I did watch yes. Love and Thunder. And it was terrible. Nice. It's just not good. I love it. Don't, don't bother. <laughs> I'm really glad I didn't see it in the cinema, paid to see it in the cinema. It's just a really hollow film. Like there's nothing to it. And it's really annoying because Christian Bale should be the best he, actor to play a Marvel villain. Yeah, he didn't deserve that. And he's that. just kind of wasted in it. Like, he's yeah. just, like, his scene, he, obviously he steals and he's seen he's in because he's Christian Bale and he's fantastic. But there's just, what is Russell Crowe doing? Oh my God, I Russell found that Crow, so offensive. Russell Crowe was playing Zeus and he does like a faux Greek accent. It's ho- and it's, it's not, it's awful. Re- it sounds like it's a combination of Russian and Dutch. I don't even know where, what he's going for. I'm like, do you think he was briefed that that's what the role would require? Well, he's playing Zeus, the, like the Greek god Zeus. Yeah, but in films, you don't always adopt the accent. But listen, the... it's Russell Crowe. You just have to watch Robin Hood and we already know he has a history of doing bad accents. So 100%. Why they thought, I think he just showed like, up that day and be like, I feel like yeah. he showed up and they were probably like, just do your normal voice. And he was like, guys, I'm not, <laughs> I have been practicing for six months to play Zeus. I have been living on top of a mountain in Greece yeah, to get to, to connect with him. Plato, and yeah. now he's going to sound like this. And you're like, Oh, in, in Gladiator, Christ. is that his normal voice? Uh, I mean, it's not necessarily his normal voice because he's an Australian, but it's his. But he's a it's bit him, Australian it's in him, Gladiator. It's, it's him kind of doing more of a neutral accent, I think. Like because that would have been quite Zeusy. He's like quite commanding and yeah, mega. Yeah, but no, his 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 Zeus is. Are not you not good. entertained? I, if he had done that, that would have been great. But he plays, yeah. Okay, God knows why. And um, we're gonna have another one. Probably. I know, yeah, because they, cause they, they they've left it there for. Can you there to do, an, do an sort. impression of what he's like? Well, he's kind of. He, why is he saying? He's kind of like foul Russian. He's kind of like he kind of like dogs like that. It tries to be like cool. Yeah, it's, it's just, like Italian, but there's like some Russian yeah. in there. It's weird. <laughs> and I just thought about. It. I didn't even. I was so disappointed in it. Like you know, remember I made you wait to watch the credits, oh, the end credits. God. I didn't even bother to do that. I couldn't tell you what the so end credits. You didn't see Hercules. <laughs> I was Hercules in it. Oh yeah, no, I did. I genuinely, I just turned it off. I, I watched it at night, and I was like, I'd rather go to sleep. I don't care. Yeah, no, it's fine. I mean, I'm not yeah. shook by that. But 
you're not shookest now. Well, you should be. Oh, God. <laughs> Knowing my track record. Um, well, yeah, for you. <laughs> for me, I was very offended. What's this? It's a movie. No. Oh, I liked it. No. Can I say something? No. I don't get it. What don't you get about it? So the question that we asked you last week is very simple, yet hard to answer in a way, because quite open-ended. If you could speak to one movie character, what would you tell them? I will start with the first one, which I think got the most likes. I would just hug Lee in Manchester by the Sea forever, and then I'd send him to a very good therapist. Have you guys seen Manchester by the Sea? No, sorry. No, it's, it's very sad. Yeah, and I really want to say that's he, the Casey Affleck film when yes. he won the Oscar. There was all the controversy. Yeah, yeah. Wait, I think there. the Belfast. A, sorry. On, oh no, no fuck Belfast. Film. No, it's oh. a horrible film. Oh dear. Uh, Manchester oh, by the Sea is really good. It's really depressing. Uh, We're gonna and, get lots of Republican hate now because Sophie said fuck Belfast. Oh God. <laughs> You've turned the Irish audience against us. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna watch it and report back. Manchester by the Sea. Both. It's quite a sad film. Yeah, I've heard it's yeah, a very, very sad it's film. It's very sad, but he's... I mean, it's Oscar bait, though. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I would like to talk to Caesar from the rebooted Planet of the Apes trilogy. I'd ask him how he views humanity and is there truly a way to find a peaceful coexistence between nature and humanity? And I would hug him too, since he really seems to need one for his compassionate leadership of the apes. That's very specific. Yeah. That person who wrote that comment must have watched that film recently. Because I don't remember. Planet of the Apes. I don't remember. Okay. I would answer to Travis in Taxi Driver, yes, I am talking to you, punk, just to see his reaction. <laughs> he would get punched in the face. What, that, like, that would be the reaction. Like there was a Brit- there's he a British shot. passenger in the taxi, and I'm like, I, I, pardon? What? Excuse me? Pardon? I am talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> very, very rude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I did like, yeah, I did like the one that is, um, I mean, talking to Austin Powers to say, stay groovy, baby. But I don't see why you, there's any point in saying that because Austin Powers is perpetually groovy. He's like a perpetual motion machine of just being groovy all the time. So he doesn't really need uh, to stay so groovy. It's, it's redundant. You know, it's like, it should be more like respect women. Yes. You know. <laughs> Or offends and wholesome. I love that. You know, no, 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 I love that. You know, there was one, the one about Iron Man, Vision and Thor. Why did you stop shooting Ultron? I'm trying to remember, is that at the end when they're all fighting Ultron? But I, it's like a big battle anyway. I can't remember that bit. Why did you stop shooting Ultron? Because it... And so aggressive. Why the fuck did you stop shooting Ultron? Yeah, sounds like a very sounds like they all did something very dumb. I mean, a, there's a lot of things that you could say to a lot of people in superhero movies to just be like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, why don't you just yeah. use your superpower yeah. now? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that, I mean, yeah, that's such a good. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Why not use your superpower now? And then we can all go home and leave the cinema. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would say to Mrs. Doubtfire, mm-hmm. dude, this is really fucking weird, <laughs> um, but it's also quite clever and heartwarming. So carry on. I'd tell Steve Carell not to tell the guy in Little Miss Sunshine that he's colorblind because that scene is just oh. too difficult to watch. I'd be like, just don't tell him. You can't be a pilot. Let, let him. Let him find out at flight school. Don't tell him. This is too hard to watch. Because that, oh my God, that movie. Why does he do that? He, he, he just, he works out that he's, color, they just work out that he's colorblind and he's, he's taking a mm-hmm. vow, he's taking a vow of silence because he wants to, he's like, I'm taking a vow of silence until I get into pilot school. Mm. And then Steve Krell works out that he's colorblind and it's fucking heartbreaking. So yeah. I just but break, then maybe it breaks his silence though. It does break his yeah, silence, yeah, yeah. That's the so thing, he fine. gets out of the car yeah. and he like starts screaming yeah. and shouting. And so it's, that's Paul Dano actually, yeah, he's really good in it. Mm. But yeah. I'm going to rewatch oh. that film. I love that film. Yeah, it's so good. There's one more that I really like because I watched the film recently again. Um, 
it does include a mini spoiler. So if you haven't watched Arrival, please skip the next Arrival's few seconds. So Have you seen Arrival? No, it's so good. Uh, okay. <laughs> so I put my fingers in my ears. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, ta- uh, yeah. yeah, take out your earphones and put your yes. fingers in your ears. Spoiler. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> I would tell Jeremy Renner's character in Arrival that Amy Adams's character did what she did out of love and not selfishness. Having kids has recently changed my perspective wherever children are involved in films. I think that's vague enough that Simon could have listened. Yeah, but there is someone that's responding to that comment that's saying, that is so beautiful. She could have told him much earlier, but she wanted him to have spent some time with their daughter, allowing him to make some happy memories. And she only told him about their daughter's death at the time she thought would be right for him to prepare for the inevitable. So that's very sweet. That is nice. Um, yeah. Safe now. Yeah, yeah. Which, and I, I really like that comment because it uses the idea of the film yeah. itself to go that's, back in time and say something about That's really nice. That's really yeah. a touching heartfelt one because when I thought yeah. about this, all I was thinking of was thing, things where I'd be like, is there something I could tell someone at the start of the film, which would mean the movie mm. is over? Like Jason Bourne when he's pulled out of the water. If I told him, I just was like, okay, so Jason, what it is, you're a spy, uh, you have multiple identities, these are all the people. <laughs> that film ends in five minutes. You're like, great, we don't need the trilogy, the Jeremy Renner movie, and then the other one. Um, any other comments, responses from the question? Um, that- I'd tell John Wick to take his dog to doggy daycare for the day. He can thank me later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, and, I mean, and we wouldn't have a franchise. No, we wouldn't. That is true. We wouldn't have three excellent films and a fourth one on the way. Yeah, I love the John Wick movies. And I love the, them. The, but that dog element at the start is very upsetting. But then, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's like manipulation or like audience manipulation one-to-one. Like, yeah, you just, you just, yeah, you just turn up as a police officer at his door. It's like, I'm sorry, sir, but the dog's been barking during yeah. the day. You're going to have to send to the doggy daycare. Secretly, I know what's going to happen. <laughs> the apprentice roll, that's it. Yeah, that's so or just funny. go to Luke in Star Wars. He's your dad. Oh, look, a message from our sponsor. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. Nah, yo, hold my poodle. Hey, yo, what's up? Y'all got a problem? Y'all want some of this? Without much further ado. Here we go again. Okay, final scene time. We're back. So before we get into the endings of Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049, we actually asked our Instagram community which one they liked better, out of curiosity. And Blade Runner 2049 won. Not by a landslide. I think it was like a 60-40. Yeah. Because um, when I when I voted, yeah. I voted on the poll. And okay. when, I, when I voted on the poll, it was like... 80 20 or 70 30 or something like there was a bit there was like a lot of people obviously voted early for 2049 you're right all the gosling hot hot gosling fans out there which surprised me quite a lot but yeah um if 2049 had never come out blade runner still stands as one of like the pinnacle mm -hmm. of like sci-fi movies that like Mm -hmm. even rewatching it now in the age of 2049 like with lots of special effects and much bigger i think it still holds up really well because the story is so good the performances in it are really good. Like Rutger Hauer is amazing in so it. So good. I was going to say this, the tears and rain monologue. monologue at the end. I was once very, I was like contemplating getting a tattoo. I was being like, will I get that like tattooed on my arm? Because I really like that like good fades grief. away like tears and rain. I think it's, it's just Beautiful. like, ama- it's such an amazing speech. Mm-hmm. I've seen um, but you yeah. like 2049 as well, but in I a do, different way. Yeah. yeah, I really like it. Just that, yeah, as you say, like in a different way. Um, I still like really appreciate it. I think Denny Villeneuve's great. I think Gosling is brilliant in it. I was a little bit worried. I didn't really know, know what he was going to be like when I first went into it, but I still really like it. And I think it's really good. And they've kept, you know, the scale of it, which is really good. And yeah, I just, I just felt like it was more of the same. And I got really bored in 2049. 
didn't hold me. Yeah, it's not for everyone. It's a three-hour film. It's, it's, not, it's definitely it's, too long. Mm. And having watched the original this morning, like the cinematography is incredible. Yeah. Like In the original, it, it doesn't look yeah. dated. And also the sound design and the way it's mixed. And That's what I'm saying. It still even, holds up. Even the dialogue sounded amazing. Like the way they built like the reverb spaces in which the dialogue was happening. It just sounded so immersive. Mm. And it, what was that, ni- in the 80s it was made? Yeah, it's the 82. Yeah, yeah. 82, yeah. it's an amazing feat of production. And I read that um, when Vangelis was making the soundtrack, in those days, um, he wasn't able to... Use, use MIDI to basically record mm. his instruments. So he had to play loads of the synths that he was using live. Wow. So it had to be tracked like that. And also he was tracking to tape, and which meant that every time he did an overdub, it increased the amount of hiss on the recording. Right. So he had to make sure he couldn't do many re-records because it would increase the noise on the I recordings. I feel like I could, I could, I could like just, I could like lie and just like close my eyes and listen to the Blade Runner soundtrack for hours because it is just so... Like it's immense, but also those synths are just some of the some of the like the kind of the brighter ones, should we say, are just like incredible. Mm. They sound so good. I have a feeling that the reason people voted or preferred Blade Runner twenty forty nine on my page is because I have a feeling I have a lot of Denny Villeneuve super fans on my page, so they're kind of skewed towards That's fair. that, which is which is fair. And again, it's a very different film. I am with you. I prefer Blade Runner as well, even though if you ask me. Three years ago, I, maybe I would have a different answer. But right now, I just, I think for me, it comes down to the female perspective. And I just feel like Rachel is a much more compelling and interesting character compared to Joey. Anna de Armas' character, I feel like she's just assertive, versatile, like very well written. And then, I don't know, I'm just, I was a bit disappointed by the way, I'm, like, Joy was written in 2049. She's it, just there it, to hype and to It just felt like it, we need, yeah, it, it's like, to give Kay another dimension. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Like, she was, yeah. she was, she was a, a means to his character's yes. end. Like, it there wasn't, like, with Rachel, where she's a very integral part of the yeah. film. and she adds to the story progression as well. Like, if you if you take Rachel out of Blade Runner, it's a completely different take, yeah. film. If you take Anna de Armas out of 2049... You can still work with it. You can still work with it, yeah. yeah. You can still do, you know, a fairly similar job. You're just getting less kind of K, yeah. K at home doing his grocery. Rachel is pivotal to Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I feel like this is something that kind of is top of mind when I... Because I watched them recently again for the purpose of today. Which one? Both of them. For the, yeah, for the podcast. The happy ending one or the... Uh... The happy ending one, unfortunately. Uh. But I did rewatch the ending of the director's and final cut as well. It's the same ending. Mm. We're going to talk about that now, actually, because there's a lot to unpack. Especially the fact that on the happy ending version, apparently some of the footage is from The Shining that they had lying around. Mm-hmm. Crazy. They just chopped into it. It's going to be quite you. funny. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> That's, That's what Warner happens Brothers when you focus through the ending of a film to death. That's how you Frankenstein yeah. your way into Hollywood, baby. So mm-hmm. That's how it works. Yeah. Cool. So, so we start with a Blade Runner ending. And yeah, I know when we talk about it, we need to clarify which ending we're talking about because there are so many different versions. I think before we started recording, we mentioned, what, four different versions at least so. that we know of. So... The most critically acclaimed one is the final cut, the only version that Ridley Scott had full creative control over. Then we have a director's cut, which came out in 1992. These two are pretty similar, but final cut is even more definitive in that sense. And of course, yeah, we don't, we can't forget the theatrical, which is the one that, yeah, I was recently. And 
Yeah, I feel like that's the one that has the most like ill-fitting, inappropriate ending because you go full on Hollywood in the end to a film that's that's not Hollywood riding at all. The, riding off into the sunset. Yeah, it kind of <clears throat> kind of negates the entire mood and tone of Blade Runner because you go from if not pessimistic, like very realistic worldview and perspective to let's fuck off to the sunset together and like we were well, made it's for each other. Funny because when you when you say that it's shots from leftover like be real from yeah, shining yeah you can kind of tell because it looks completely different mm. like blade runner is really dark it's really kind of always raining it's always kind of dingy and i guess they're you know suggesting that it's the happy ending and all that but it just just doesn't suit it yeah what what did you because you watched blade runner today i watched the <laughs> the final cut oh, okay great but i thought ridley scott did endorse the final cut because he, he does not, endorse no. the final cut he doesn't endorse the theatrical cut yeah. yes but then you said that before you said Sophie the director's cut. There's two. So, there's two. So director's oh. cut. So the director's cut. Uh, he still has a lot of input in that one, but it's not the entire uh-huh. like. I think for the input. final cut as well, they like remastered it and stuff. It's more technical. So the final cut has more violence in there. There's a lot of like more technical bits added. They're quite mm. similar. Yeah, this is why it's like you have a director's cut, which still, from my understanding, like Ridley Scott he gave a lot of notes to the final product. But if I remember correctly, it was actually a film preservationist. I think that's the term for it, who actually put together the director's cut on the back of the original working draft. And then you have Final Cut, which came out 10 years ago. And And they remastered it and stuff. Which when you compare the remastered one to the 2049, it, it looks just as good as the modern yeah. stuff. Yeah. Like I it's agree. insane. Yeah. I just wanted to for us to play the voiceover that's uh, oh, that's God, that's yeah. playing on the back of which oh, is I so- forgot. Yeah, that was the other big difference, wasn't it? They yeah, cut it- the voiceover for the uh, directors in Final Cut because it was it was a bit patronizing, wasn't it? It's the theatrical cuts the one with a bit the voiceover. Spoon feedy. It's very spoon It's very spoon feedy. Well the behind the scenes story for that is that they started screening Blade Runner to test audiences and it started scoring very low. So they were like, oh shit, like we need to dumb this down for people because it does, like people don't even know what the origami is about. And then this is why they add B-roll footage in the end. In the 80s, was Blade Runner initially a failure or a success money-wise? Like, did it, it was, was it one of those it films? Bombed. Yeah. It, yeah. it bombed really hard. So it took years for it to become a, a sort yeah, of cult Yeah, it took classic. like over 10 mm-hmm. years to, for the director's cut to come out. I think the director's cut came out in 1992, something like that. Gaff had been there and let her live. Sounds like Naked Gun. Four years, he figured. He was wrong. Oh my God. It literally sounds like a Naked Gun monologue. Yeah. yeah. Rachel was special. That could be Top Gun as no well. Termination date. In the end, like final scene. I didn't scene. know how long we'd have together. <laughs> He sounds like he's going to say, and I'm ser- I'm serious, and don't call me shortly. Like, it's terrible. So let's compare that to Naked Gun. The attempt on Nordberg's life left me shaken and disturbed. And all the questions kept coming up over and over again, like bubbles in a case of club soda. I, do, you know what it sound, it, it, do you know what that sounds like? That sounds like, it really sounds like Harrison Ford even doesn't care. Oh, yeah, he, he, he just sounds so that. bored. Narration needs to go 90% of the time in film, generally. Like, mm. yeah, if, anyway, that's a different conversation. It's a much better ending when it's left open to interpretation. Yeah, and it's smarter, period. Like, it's a smarter. Yeah. It's because the more it's theatre of the mind, the more powerful the art is, mm. isn't it? The more your brain puts it together, yep. the more impact it has on you. Yeah. 
Whereas if it's just telling you how to think, it takes away that specialness of it. So moving on to the director's cut. So yeah, uh, sorry, I'm reading my notes as well, but uh, I was right. So it was, yeah, a film preservation is that put together the director's cut in 1992. Almost and then, like a fan cut, um, kind of. I'm pretty sure, no, because he collaborated with Ridley Scott. Like he, like he gave his input, but he wasn't like the only person involved. Uh, again, based on the original work print. And then this new cut became the default version for many years. And then Final Cut came out a few years later. Anyway, the, in the director's cut, as we know, the film stops with the elevator closing. I just think of it as the final cut just got that extra bit of polish on top of the director's cut. And it ends with a much more interesting question. Like because you, let's assume director's cut and final cut are kind of the same. Yeah. From a like, narrative standpoint, there are not many changes. The difference between these two and the theatrical cut is one, the ending, very different. And two, the final cut and the director's cut have the um, origami horse sequence, the dream sequence, um, somewhere in the middle, the I believe, unicorn, where yeah. he's playing, like, Decker's playing the piano, and then you have like the horse like running in a forest, in a foggy forest. People consider that sequence to be very important because, because it plays a very big part in understanding whether or why Deckard is a replicant. Because the argument is, in the end, you have Gaff leaving the origami for him to find, basically proving to him that he has access to his memories. Because the only other time we've seen the origami is in his memory. So he's like, how could Gaff know about the origami? It's not like Decker would go around and talk about his dreams. How could he know that he's been dreaming about that origami? And it's the same It's the same narrative device that's then used in 2049 to exactly. show the K as a replicant Exactly. Well. I think it's a nice tribute what they did there. It's the small wooden horse in... In yes. 2049. I mean, there's a lot of debate out there in terms of whether Deckard is a replicant or not. Um, I'm going to play a clip from this documentary short called Deckerep, the true nature of Rick Deckard. It's like 10 minutes long. And basically, a bunch of people like behind the scenes talking about what, debating whether he's or he's not a replicant. And well, Ridley Scott has a very strong opinion about it. Harrison Ford has a different opinion about it. How would anyone have known what was inside his head other than someone who knew what was in his file that had been implanted in his brain? Can't be any clearer than that. You don't get it, you're a moron. <laughs> Harsh. That's really Scott for you. Do you guys really care that much whether he's a replicant or not? I think it's more interesting in 2049, I would say, because mm -hmm. I think that's more of a question because... Kay's character is built a lot more on the turmoil of knowing that or not. I don't think Deckard's character is, I don't think that's a big part of him, uh, you know, whether he's a replicant or not. But a big part of Kay is, you know, I don't know who I am finding these memories. Why do I know what this is? And, and you know, they, they a lot more of the narrative and the plot in 2049 is around, like, where did, these where did his memories come from? And then mm. they use that to play mm. it in. Whereas... As you say, I, I, it doesn't really bother me as much in the original because I don't, yeah, necessarily doesn't really I, change care about me. it as much. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not invested as much in that question, but I think depending on what you believe or what you make out of the film, the film kind of changes in its intentions. So, for example, why is Gaff so obsessed with Deckard? Why is he following him around? Like, if you think about, like, he's kind of creeping on him throughout the film, Gaff. 
And he's a veteran LAPD officer, right? I mean, that's the idea. Why is he so obsessed with him? Like, and one argument could be if he's a replicant, then he might just be watching over him and he might be like tailing him in a way, making sure that he's doing his job. But if he's a human, why is Gaff obsessed with him? Again, this is me think- thinking out loud. I don't have an argument, but I do think it changes the story because Gaff is a really big part. Like you can see how he's uh, stalking him in a way. I do think it makes for a good, yeah, question. I just spent most of the film being quite confused. It looks great. Uh, confused? <laughs> yeah. Did you find the narrative? Like, I the just plot couldn't, it didn't grab me. The only bit I got Wait, engaged Wait, you were talking about the original one. Yeah, huh? in, yeah, in the original. The only bit I got into it was the scary, rainy house section where you're like, mm-hmm. is he going to get killed or whatever? Wait, That's around. the only time my heart was racing and I was like invested in the mm. film. The rest of it, I was just like, I mean, it looks lovely and the sound's wicked, but... Mm. Story it's, doesn't grab me. Right, yeah, no, I get that. I mean, it's it's supposed to be quite... Because you know when you watch something or you, your friends that you think are cool recommend some music when you're a kid and like you're like, I should like this. You know, everyone's saying it's cool. Mm. It's like my mum always says she wasn't cool enough to like talking heads. Mm. <laughs> I'm always like, she didn't work like that. Mm. But you know what I mean? Like you just know this is a classic. Everyone talks about it. I should like it. Mm. But I, I just, I gave it my all, but I just couldn't get into it. Mm. Wow. Mm. I didn't love mm. it. He's a particular character and you have to be in that kind of mind space to be able to appreciate. I'm not saying you're not appreciating. I'm saying he's a very depressed like character. Like he doesn't, I mean, Deckard. Well, Deckard at the start of the film is just a bit of an arsehole. As well. Like, as well. He's just a bit of a dick. Like he's, he's, he's not, like. He's not easy to like. Yeah. yeah, he's not. Yeah, he's not a very like, and, and really he's not that. Yeah, he, you don't gravitate towards him. It's like, I, I don't know, it reminds me of like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. It's a film that I love, but I still don't understand to this day. <laughs> but I still <laughs> really hard. love it. It's a hard film. I need to watch that film yeah. over and over again yeah. to kind of get it. But in uh, Blade Runner, I just, I don't know, I've watched it a couple of times and just haven't mm. got into it. But I think there's a difference between understanding and liking. Mm, that's I, true. I think you can like a film and not necessarily understand it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire. There you go. No one still. To great, this, great to wig, this, wig work. To though. this has, day, I still question it. I still question the wig work. Yeah. Has there been an episode we've done that we have that we haven't referenced, Mister? Um, Sorry, that I don't think maybe so, the no. one. Uh, maybe Full Metal Jacket it was just you and me. Yeah, where it was just you maybe and me. Maybe that was the one. But even where still, we're... I feel like I might have slipped it in. <laughs> in, sp- in spirit, slipped in some doubt fire. The wig work on Brosnan's chest is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so he does his own wig work, man. Yeah. Oh, God. Blew it myself. <laughs> cool. So, for the 2017 sequel, Blade Runner 2049, the the, the question over whether um, Deckard was a replicant or not still had to be addressed. And I know, like, Ben, you just mentioned that earlier. There are, like... They kind of touch on it through, maybe indirectly through Officer K. But what did you make out of that ending where you had Officer K kind of playing with his own humanity for lack of a bit? The semi-humanity because he's not actually human. Human. But in opposition to Deckard, who's clearly, for me, he's clearly a replicant in 2049. Who? Deckard. Deckard. Like it's much more clear. I don't think there is much to... Much room for interpretation there. Is there the, the glint in the eye thing that gives it away as well? That's in the original. Bro- Does that not have the, the, glint, the glint in the milkman's eye that uh, yeah, the all replicants have? Yeah, mm. yeah, because it's it's like the hunter becomes the hunted in twenty forty nine, and clearly 
people would, no people, like the Walls Corporation and the whole conspiracy wouldn't have happened if it was just, if he was just human. Why would they hunt down Rachel and Descartes' child to create a new breed of replicants? I don't, to me, like Villeneuve has a very strong point of view in terms of whether he's a replicant or not. The debate to me reminds me a bit of, um, you know, are we all living in a simulation? Oh, yeah, to be like yeah. that. And, you know, it's like... It's kind of a Truman show, kind it's of. It's like yeah. layers of simulation. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. You, nobody knows what's real and nobody knows what's mm. pretend. Yeah, and I think that is that is a part, you know, part of it to leave it up to interpretation to, you know, or like the ending of Inception. Is it, a, you know, are they awake? Is it a dream? It's more interesting when you kind of don't know. Mm-hmm. As you say, it's a lot more interesting than the original when you don't spoon feed it to people, yep. you know? It's... um. Yeah, it's nicer to just leave it kind of hang. Mm-hmm. But you know what's interesting because they do talk. Up, I mean, they do refer to twenty forty nine as a sequel. So it's not just like a ver- like it's not like a tribute or it's not a remake. My my question is, it's a sequel to which version? I think it can be a sequel to both. Okay, I think I like it's that. more enjoyable if it's a sequel to the director's cut rather than it being mm-hmm. again just being spoon-fed to you. Well, I think the thing that makes it interesting is Ben's theory was that in the lift, they have sex and Rachel gets pregnant and that makes more sense, I think. So yeah, so therefore the director's cut version has more... steamy cut. Has more... (laughs) Yeah, the steamy cut. (laughs) So so, because I I was saying like, did Rachel get pregnant at the end of the first Blade Runner? And Sophie was like, well, it's probably at some point. And Ben was like, well, it happened in the lift. (laughs) <laughs> so actually that means that it only works with the director's cut yeah. which ends with the lift doors closing because that's when they um did it yeah mm. i like that because in a way mm. what we're saying is that there isn't a there isn't one answer to that question it's more like it's not just about the narrative of the film or the story which could go either way it's also about the meta narrative of the film which goes like to us having the conversation about like whether he's a replicant or not like what is the right version and things yeah. like that so it kind of transcends. I guess in an alternate universe where that theatrical cut never happens and that as a director's cut, there's not really much to talk about because it exactly. is a satisfying ending anyway. That exactly. You just think that you don't know when it's left up to interpretation. Then you go yeah. because the the great thing about that is, is then you don't really need a sequel, and so the mm-hmm. sequel has to be clever enough, which mm-hmm. then twenty forty nine kind place. of is, yeah, mm-hmm. to earn its place there. And I think twenty forty nine does that. I think it mm-hmm. definitely does that. When the lift door shut in the director's cut. I didn't find I was like, oh, I feel really unsatisfied. I was like, it's finished. I'm done. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's a perfectly fine ending. Yeah, I wasn't, should, I wasn't it, hanging. It should cut to credits. It, yeah. It, yeah. So it, with endings, right, what are we saying? Is a good film ending one that satisfies us, leaves us hanging, leaves us asking questions? What is it? What things. is it that like we I, want out of an ending? I think a good film ending, a good film ending can do all of those things. Yeah, I think it's more nuanced than that because I do think they're, endings that are open-ended but they're also lazy and that pisses me off like i'm like well when you, you just do when you don't know how to work you, you, you don't you, know how to yeah, work your yeah, way yeah, out of you, it, yeah. you don't know how to end it so you just yeah put that thing in there to yeah. make it more confusing and then you're gonna go to your press tour and be like oh i just love it out the interpretation it's like yeah. no you just didn't know how to end the film for some people like the end of sopranos right just cuts to black yeah because we couldn't you know we mm-hmm. could you end it maybe you should have mm-hmm. yeah I don't think a good film ending has to do that. Like a good film ending can have a resolution and yep. you can know and, you, and it can be satisfying and it can have a happy ending. Very La much like La La Land. La La Land. Wayne's World. They do multiple endings. You know, they want it. Yeah. They do the sad ending. They yeah. do the, you know, the Scooby-Doo ending and then they do the happy ending. Mm-hmm. Then a film like Blade Runner, 
I think it's a good example of how the ending, the tone of the ending has to suit the tone of the film. Mm-hmm. The tone of the theatrical cut ending doesn't suit the rest, the tone of the rest of the film. Whereas the director's cut definitely does because it just feels so out of place. It feels like B-roll from The Shining and they got uh, they got Harrison Ford in. I don't know, he's, fi- he's filming Air Force One and they're like, Harrison, mm-hmm. we, need you, we need you to jump in a studio in LA for five minutes to record this fucking voiceover. Why? Blade Runner's testing badly. And like, yeah. okay, fuck it, I'll just go in and do it. I'm reading from a piece of paper. <laughs> As Simon and I have worked with voiceovers before and directed people, it's, it literally sounds like he's re- just reading off a piece of paper. <laughs> like, but the mad thing is about this discussion on the ending of Blade Runner is that it's it's a screenplay loosely based on a book. Yeah. So who's even in charge of defining the ending? Like, is it the just... Director. The director. So, well, is it? I mean, if, if, you're, to believe, very, if you're to believe Olivia Wilde, it's the director. It's all on the director. Oh, goodness. And then, so what pressure is the director under? Is it the studio going, we need to make the most dollar? Well, think, or is it somebody saying, you can make high art? Like, so, I, well, I, so I think it, 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 it's telling in that Ridley Scott is like, you know, the final cut is my cut of the film. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, but this, this, that's years later. But let's yeah, just, but, yeah, but you, you don't know. have to have one version of what, I mean, because the thing is... That's, that you, was a luxury that he didn't know he was going to have. Like, no, he had the because, theatrical cut released, and then but, years later, that was an option because it became a cult classic. Be, sure, but that, just because theatrical cut was the very first version of the film, that doesn't mean it was the original artistic expression of the but, artist. That's what I'm because, saying. Because, what is, who has that? It depends on the output. So, for example, the purpose of the theatrical cut was to make money. It wasn't art, right? Because well, it's all in the same, isn't it? No, Scott didn't have a say. I think as well, we have you kind of have to be careful because, much like the movie or the the music industry, the movie industry was a very different place. Obviously, it is all still about money, but. Artistic integrity, I feel like now is a much more prominent thing because directors have a lot more of a voice. It's not just like you yeah. have a studio has the directors that they go to. Like directors are not just the guy behind the camera anymore. They're very like, again, to go, as I said about Olivia Wilde, you look at Don't Worry Darling, a big part of like the release of the film and the press of the film is her thoughts and what she thinks. And if we go back to like Ridley Scott's last film, like The Last Jewel, a lot of it is about what he thinks and his interpretation of it. That wasn't really a thing back in, you know, maybe the 80s or 90s. It was more so the director directs the film. Harrison Ford, well, we care what Harrison Ford thinks because Harrison Ford's the face of the film. Blade Runner 2049 has a very definitive, as in like, you know, you can see like in the end what happens. So we have Officer K who has just rescued Deckard, right? And he's, he's like, you're, you're safe and sound. We, we're going to kind of fake your death. You're, go meet your daughter. The telling thing that he says to him is <clears throat> he gives him the horse and he says all the best memories are hers. Yes. And that's yeah, the yeah, big yeah. thing. That's the, that's the main thing. that he. Yeah, I think that's, it's a twi- a, is it that's a twist beforehand. Deckard, yeah. Deckard says to him, he's like, what are you to me? Or something, something along those lines. Yeah. And he gives him the horse, which is like the unicorn from the original. Yep. And says all the best memories are hers. Yes. Go and meet your daughter. So Deckard goes in to meet his daughter and Officer Case dies on the stairs. Oh, the stairs. Like it's one of the, the, I think it's one of the most beautiful shots in Denis Villeneuve's films. Just and it's um in the snow. In, in the snow as well, which I know we talked about earlier. There is something to be said in terms of is it some sort of like from the Villeneuve point of view? Could you argue that it's a visual cinematic parallel to Tears in Rain? 
So you go from rain, which is something like a bit more fluid and uncertain and flowy to Possibly. snow. I think the film in general, though, uses weather in a lot of different ways, though, because you sure. go then in the, also the scenes where Kay goes to find Deckard. It's mm-hmm. in sandstorms. It's in the desert. It's all like, <clears throat> I think there's definitely a lot of like, maybe more so to do with like the color scheme, you know, the... Yeah. And yeah. I, it's maybe yeah. something to do with, you know, the physicality yeah. of snow as well. But mm-hmm. it goes from being like, again, very similar, lo- like lots of dark, lots of neons, like pinks, blues to right. then the start of the film. Then the middle is this really kind of burnt orange, like bright, like in your face kind of Sierra color to then back to rain mm-hmm. kind of in, and into snow. Because we do see uh, Kay and Joey, you know, in rain throughout the film and when we see Rain, it's usually when he's kind of, he feels lost. You know, he doesn't feel like he belongs anywhere and he's quite, mm. um, he's trying to find his ground and he's questioning a lot of things about yeah, his morality and things like that. And to me, I maybe I'm, maybe this is, maybe I'm reading, I'm not sure, but I thought it was interesting. It was the very first time we're seeing snow in a way because it had that kind of, oh, now I found like my work yeah. here is done. And like maybe the snow kind of showed that solidifying his character and his mission. I think as well, moment. because we just go from when, when, when he saves Deckard, it's he saves him from drowning in the car and the rain yes. and the water. Yep. And actually I think snow gives an element of calm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like neutrality, maybe mm-hmm. like it's quite, uh, you know, with the ending of not necessarily the ending of Blade Runner, but the scene before with, you know, Rutger Howard and his final scene, it's like, it's raining. It's, you know, it's, dark it's grimy whereas this is it's bright there's the mixture of the kind of the gray buildings and the white snow and it's just calm and it's it's like kind of both characters have found Mm. peace it's kind of just that's what i love yeah yeah, yeah. it's a nice ending for it that both you know Kay can finally just let i mean awful but let go and die it's about the power of choosing in a way i think that's what it's all about with him anyway as Mm. a character because he thought he was helpless, right? And I think in the end he could have gone down. Deckard the... or Kay? No, sorry, Kay. I mean both, really. But yeah, to be, to be, yeah, 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 yeah. They are car- they are pretty much carbon copies yeah. of one another. Like. He's choosing to help Deckard. He could have. He, he had every opportunity not to, mm. and you know, kill him or yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. So happy 40th to Blade Runner because... Happy 40th too. I have to say, I, I, st- I still think Blade Runner is one of the coolest movie titles. <laughs> it's one of the That's coolest true. movies. And at least, like, if I said to you, oh, we're going to watch Blade Runner, I don't think you'd automatically think I'm going to watch a movie about a policeman whose job it is is to weed out replicant robots. Mm-hmm. It's like it has such a, it has such a kind of cool, ominous so title. Cool. <laughs> Okay, I think we solved not one, but two endings today. So we, we're we back, by the way, to our regular programming. So we will see you in two weeks with the now much anticipated Don't Worry Darling. We can't wait to see this one. If you missed us, take a second to share this episode on your Instagram stories or your movie group chat. Spread the Blade Runner love. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Did you like it? Did you like that? Did I like it? I loved it. I had no idea you could milk a cat. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk me? Good morning! Morning! Good morning! Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.